Um, great is thy faithfulness. Um, I've just been pondering a bit this week just with remembering Lori and all that's gone on in this year and just kind of pointing my mind back to the faithfulness that God's shown us all through well that and everything else that we've lived through this last year and just looking into the future just wanting to remember remember that remember his faithfulness
morning. Good to have you all here. Kids, did you want anything this morning? Did you want a lesson? Did you want singing? What did you want? Caden does. Well, come on up here, kids. Are we going to sing a song, Caden? Well, Carrie's not here to sing a song with the kids. What should we do about that? All right, go ahead and stand up here. I'll sing a song with you. One or two, nothing fancy where I have to jump around. You're going to get your guitar out, Caden? Go ahead and stand up here. We'll sing a song or two. You need help, Caden? No. You don't? Okay. Very independent. Go ahead and get your guitar out. See how we can do uh, singing to... You're the only one that's playing a guitar. See how we can do singing to a uh, guitar that's out of tune. How about that? It will be a joyful noise that much, I guarantee you. You got it? There we go. Can you put it on? There we go. <laughs> He's proud of his guitar. Shall we sing Jesus Loves Me? Do you, you have your pick? Oh, there it is. All right. You play the guitar for him. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You know what, guys? I think that the adults believe that Jesus loves them, but... I'm not sure that you guys do because I didn't hear you singing at all. Do you want to? Do you want to see if you can do that again? See if you can convince me that Jesus loves you. Let's try it. Jesus loves me. Convinced that Jesus loves you. All right. <laughs> you never saw parents stand up here. Well, maybe we'll have to do that one day. Amazing Grace. I'll have to think of uh, the order of the verses. I don't have my phone. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now. 
found was blind, but now I see. Many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amen. All right. That's uh, good, good singing, guys. All right, come on, uh, sit down here. I'm going to have a story for you. Actually, I want you to tell me a story. No. <laughs> you don't? Well, I'm going to ask you some questions and see if you have the answer. Do you want to put your guitar away, Kaden? You don't spill my secrets, okay? <laughs> you glad I know my You're glad you know my secrets? I don't think you know the whole thing. Here, put your guitar away, please. All right. Who all knows who Moses was in the Bible? Moses. What did Moses do? What, what did he do, Sherry? Remember what he did? He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Caleb, do you have do you have any uh, stories about Moses? Okay. What about when Moses was a little baby. Who can tell me a story about when Moses was a little baby? What happened to him when he was a little baby? Yeah, why was he floating in the river? Yeah. You know, the the king the king didn't like the the Israelites and so he wanted all the baby boys to die because he didn't, uh, he thought there were too many of them and he was scared that they would take over their country. So what, so what happened? So this little baby Moses was born and what happened? Okay, they made a little basket, put it on the river and then what happened? The king's, the king's daughter, the, the princess, found the baby, and what did she do with him? She took him and raised him like she was her own boy. So here was Moses. He was actually one of the, the, a child of one of the slaves, but the princess of Egypt rescued him and took him and raised him in the palace. So all his family were slaves, but he was actually a prince. And he was raised and had everything that he could have possibly 
ever wanted. Now, do, you, do, you, do any of you remember the rest of the story? What happened after that? You know what happened? God gave Moses a choice. See, Moses was living a really nice life. He was living in a palace. Do you need help, Caden? He was, he was living in a palace. Can you, can you help him a little bit, Caleb? Help him put it back in the bag? Thank you. But the rest of his family were slaves, and they were being mistreated and persecuted, and it wasn't very nice. And they were begging the Lord to lead them out of Egypt. Now, if you had a choice, would you rather live in a nice palace, or would you rather lead a bunch of people through the desert? I don't think that sounds like fun. Would you like rather live in a tent in the desert or live in a palace? That's right. Well, Moses made the right choice. But you know what? Sometimes we have choices like that today. Maybe not about the kind of house that we live in, but sometimes choices that we make are... Well, they, it looks really good. Sometimes, sometimes things that look really good are not really good for us. And sometimes things aren't always as good as they look to be. So what do you think would have happened if Moses would have just stayed living in that palace? He probably would have died because God came and he judged the Egyptians and lots and lots of them died. So he could have made a good or what looked to be a really good choice to him, but it could have turned out bad. So sometimes there are things in life that we have that look really good that actually turn out to be really bad. How many of you like candy? Do you all like candy? You like chocolate? Do you think chocolate's a good choice? Well, let's find out. I'll wait to open it till you all have one. Do you like chocolate? Let's see if I have some more in my other pocket. I do have some more. There's one. There's one. There's one. Dom want one. All right, you all like chocolate, so we all had the choice to have chocolate this morning. Let's open it and see how good it tastes this morning. Think it tastes good? Yeah. Well, bite it and see if it tastes good. Yeah. You're not? Was that was that a disappointing thing? That, You didn't even open it. You were too smart for that. Does that look like does that look like a good choice? Boy, it looked it looked like a good thing on the outside, didn't it? Yeah? Well, why wasn't it good if it if it looked like if it looked like a good choice on the outside? Didn't that work very well for you, Dom? You want a, you want a different one? Well, it's got the same thing in it, unfortunately, but I have some good ones in the back that I'll give you after church. How about that? (laughs) 
Michael, get him a good one out of that bag down there so he doesn't get too disappointed. <laughs> so that, that was kind of disappointing, right? So we sometimes things that look really good really turn out to be bad choices, right? So when we're given a choice in life, sometimes we have to pray and ask God, what really is the best choice here? Because things that look good in this in this world sometimes are really not the best choice for us, right? So that's the lesson I want you to remember this morning. Like Moses, he made the choice to lead the people through the wilderness rather than live in a palace. And people probably thought that was a pretty dumb choice for him to make. But you know what? That's what God wanted him to do. And that's probably what saved his life. He probably would have died if that hadn't happened. So always remember that our choices have consequences and to make good choices, even if it might not look like the funnest choice to make. Okay? You can go back to your parents. I'll have the real candy for you after church. How about that? Can you pick up all your trash? Throw it in the trash can. Throw it all in the trash can, please. That goes for the rest of us, too. Sometimes, uh, hey, I still, uh, <laughs> come dumb, I don't, think the, I don't think the puppy needs to eat the trash. Um, here, let's, let's come back here. There we go. I think your mom's back this direction. Um, it's amazing how sometimes these these lessons that we we try to teach our kids, uh, at least for me, maybe I'm different than everybody else. How much I need those same lessons many times. It's uh, so as. As an adult, it's easy to, uh, yeah, make the make the wrong decision. I mean, Moses, um, I believe at the time, well, at the time where he uh, killed the Egyptian and had to run for his life, he was 40 years old. He was right around my age, and uh, you know, what kind of choice would I make in that situation? I can live in a nice, comfortable life in a palace or stand up for truth. Now, I don't know that he was necessarily right in killing uh, the Egyptian, but um, he did make choices to, to stand up for truth rather than just living a comfortable life. Yes? When you don't know? Well, you know, there's... That's the simple answer, and quite honestly, it's the only answer. <laughs> Um, you know, it's uh, go to the Word of God. Go to uh, uh, brothers in in the Lord that that you trust, and and uh, get good, sound biblical advice. Sometimes when we're when we're in a tough situation like that, we don't always see things clearly, and and need the help of someone who uh, maybe is unbiased and can and can give us the word of God uh, in a situation like that. But ultimately, God is faithful to, uh, to lead us. If we're really sincere in choosing the right path, he will direct our steps. He has promised that, and he certainly will do that. So. 
Thank you all for being here this morning. A welcome to each one. A welcome to our visitors from here and abroad in Tennessee and wherever all else. It's good to have you here. Um, I'm not sure that there are really any uh, announcements other than the normal ones. Read your bulletin and uh, see if there's anything in there that uh, I'm missing. We do have lunch after the service as usual, so please stay and uh, enjoy that time of fellowship with us. We're getting into the... It's hard to actually believe that it's here already, but we're actually getting close to entering into the holiday season and a lot of people will be traveling and going here and there and all these kind of things. So uh, let's uh, pray for those that are not here. Do you have something you wanted to share, Ali? Quick. quick? Are you sure about that? Well, you can, I, I you tried. Can more than quick. Sorry, this is not planned. Um, does anybody need prayer? You want, want us to pray for you? Can we pray for our brother? Is there anyone else? We love you, church. Amen. Thank you, Ali. I uh, love how the Lord leads in the church and lays burdens on people's hearts and, and if the the Lord leads you to pray and encourage and be a part of the service in any way like that. Please do not uh, quench the speaking of the Spirit in your life, but uh, jump up and give what the Lord has asked you to give. And I believe uh, Phil's going to jump up here and give what the Lord asked him to give. We're looking forward to that. So. Uh, Let's pray and ask for the Lord to uh, speak to us through his word. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had together here this morning already. I thank you for the worship that we've experienced. Father, I thank you for the reminder of your faithfulness, how you care for each one of us, how you will never leave us, and you guide each step. That seems to have been the, the theme of our time and our worship here this morning, and I thank you for that reminder, and I pray that we would live in that reality and that we would accept that faithfulness and that care from you because we know that it is there available for us, even at times we don't realize it. But I thank you for that, Father. I pray now that you would meet with us here this morning, continue to speak to us, speak to us through your word. Through our fellowship, pray for my brother Phil as he brings your word that he would share what you have given him and that it would bring fruit in our lives and continue to change us into your image. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I copy, love. That's why we need each other, brothers, sisters. You can't put mics on by yourself. It won't come out right. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and Lord, I just thank you for this moment in eternity. And it is eternal because you're writing this down. You tell us that when your people come together, 
and speak often one to another, a book of remembrance is written. And so, Lord, as we fill in the page of one of those books today with our gathering together, I pray that as you look upon the hearts, we look on the outside, but you look upon our hearts. And as you write down the work you're doing through your Holy Spirit and the words that you're speaking into each one of our hearts and meeting those needs, that it would bring so much glory to you and transformation to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn your Bibles with me to to Acts chapter 2. There are four pillars that the Lord has built in my life and continues to strengthen in my life. When I think of pillars, I think of something that is a strength, not only a strength in my life, but a support. So I want you to think about, I I was thinking, how can I illustrate this? And And so I didn't bring along an illustration, but I want you to think it in your minds. I'll paint a mental image for you. Think about when you're building a platform and you have four pillars, four legs on this chair or a platform. And as you put that platform down, it's not just a platform for a platform's sake. You're building something on the platform. You're building a house. Maybe it's a tree house. Maybe it's a playhouse. Maybe it's your house. And if you want to make sure that those four pillars stay evenly connected together, and you're wise about that, before you even set those pillars in place, you'll get some concrete. And the parameter of that building, you'll pour a concrete foundation. And that concrete will all be connected, and then each pillar sits on each corner, and they're placed together on the concrete. We call that a foundation, right? And so before the pillars, the foundation is what actually holds the four pillars together. If you don't have a good foundation and the foundation cracks, then one pillar can sink and or go off and it twists the whole building a bit. And as the building twists, if you have doors in the building or windows... They won't open properly. The doors will begin not to shut properly. And everything will be off balance. And if it continues to sink, one pillar this way, one pillar this way, and the worse it twists, the more things don't work properly. And then you begin to see it. First, you experience it. You try to shut the door, and it what? it's not shutting right. You have to bang the door to get it shut right because it's jamming. You try the window and you kind of have to put some pressure on it. And eventually, the window won't work at all. And if the building continues to twist, you will then begin to see it. Cracks will form on the wall and the sheetrock. And eventually, if it continues to get worse, everything in the building starts going funky and turning and twisting in weird directions. And eventually, the building collapses. So it is in our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 
verse 10. According to the grace of God, Paul, Apostle Paul speaking, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the foundation does something amazing. It not only supports the building generally, it keeps it all on one level. So that everything that is built on that foundation can be squared with the foundation and it stays strong. It supports the whole thing. And then, if you continue to build, as I'm giving you in the, the analogy, these four pillars that you put on, and then a platform on top of that, or a floor, these four pillars are also structural. When we say in construction terms, Merv knows this, and some of you others who are in construction, Dad, is when something is structural, it means it's necessary for the support of the building. If you take out something that is structural, for instance, these beams here are structural. What do you think would happen if we took these bolts out and took this beam out? Would you like to eat lunch underneath that ceiling today? Or what if we took out one of these? And I'd say, just sit tight, guys. The first thing I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take this beam out. And everybody's like, nice, that's wonderful, Phil. I'll watch you do it. And I'm all good. I'm all good. No worries. And so we took that beam out. And maybe you'd hear a little creaking and uh, maybe the boards would start doing a little bit of this, the ceiling boards. Then I say, okay, now one more. I'm also going to take this one out. And you guys are just like, no problem. I'm staying right here. It's okay. It just looks pretty, Phil. I'm sure the building's strong. No, I don't think that would be your response. And yet, what I've found in my own Christian life is that Satan can come to me through his own voice in my head or through other people saying, you don't need this structure in your life to serve Jesus, to live for him. That seems a bit legalistic, dead, and not life-giving. It's not that necessary, is it really? And so I say, okay, yeah, you're probably right. And we take it out of our life. And it's not like the whole house collapses or your whole life collapses immediately. No, but it begins to crack a little bit. And it begins to maybe twist a little bit. And eventually, maybe the window. You Next time you go and, and you, you try to fight the enemy or you, a battle all of a sudden hits you in your emotions and you go through a really difficult time like a test of, well, let's do one that's real common, finances. All of a sudden, you go through a really tough time financially. And all of a sudden, you begin to get stressed out and worried. And you begin to grumble and complain 
And all these things come up in your heart towards God and you say, why God are you doing to me this to me? It's not fair. Look at my neighbor. Look at my brothers in the church. They all seem to be doing well financially. Why am I suffering? Why are my things not selling? Or why, why did I lose my job? Or what do you do with that? What happens? Does it begin to twist and sink a bit? And all of a sudden your faith isn't working so well for you. The doors are jamming. That's why the foundation is important, but also the structure in our life. And I am amazed, dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers, how our generation, my generation at least, is trying to live a Christian life without structure. In fact, it's so much so that I hear so many Christians say when you begin to talk about structure in your life or in the church, it's like, I don't need that. All I need to do is love Jesus. That's all. And they somehow have convinced themselves that Jesus is an emotion. It's a feeling. And if I feel good and I can choose to feel good, it's all about how I choose to feel. What they don't realize is they are becoming their own gods. Whenever you and I take the word of God and choose not to put it as an obedient act in my life, I am avoiding God's structure, God's strength, God's support system in my life. And guess what? When you try to do it through your own emotions or your own willpower or your own positive thinking, that will fail you at the time of testing. It's going to burn up. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Beware, lest you build with hay, wood, and stubble, or straw. Things that can burn up. All three of those you can light a match to and they'll burn. He says, if any man builds with those three elements in their life, and what I call those three elements is my own willpower, my own emotion, and my own reasoning. Those are hay, wood, and stubble. Because my reasoning will fail me in the day of my testing. Because when God tests, it makes no sense. The only way you'll be purified in heart when God tests you financially is through faith, not reason. Your emotions will fail you because your emotions are going to be all over the place. You're going to feel a hundred different ways Probably every day you're going to feel anger, you're going to feel frustration, or you're going to feel disappointment. You're going to feel happy when you make a lot of money. You're going to feel sad and distraught, and you're going to have all kinds of feelings just from that one test. And your willpower will also fail you. It'll burn up. You can fight and decide, I'm going to work as hard as I can, and God will put holes in your pocket. For every dollar you make, he can blow too. He did this to Israel, Malachi. The Lord said, you're not bringing in your offerings. You're not honoring me with your work. And so guess what? 
I will make you poor. I'll put holes in your pockets. The more money you make, the more I'm going to take away from you. And God can cause things to break. He can cause your house to burn down. He can cause all the elements against you to cost you total bankruptcy. No matter how strong and determined you become, you cannot change God's purpose. All three will fail you. Hay, wood, and stubble. There's only one thing that will purify your heart and save your soul in the day of testing. Your faith in God's word. A faith that leads you to obedience. That will save you. And that's what I'm talking about. Is that kind of structural strength in our life. If we're not really careful, my dear brothers and sisters, we're going to totally miss it. Because we live in a modern Christianity that says it's legalism. It's just lawful stuff. You don't need it. I heard last week. There are what I would call good Christian believers. I thought so of them. But what they shared with me was, you know what? The Bible just condemns me every time I read it. I feel so condemned. So I don't really need the Bible because Jesus doesn't condemn me. Jesus loves me. And so I'm, I don't, to love Jesus, I don't even need to read the Bible much. I can just walk with Jesus and learn to love him on my own. Wow. We'll see how that works out for them. Acts chapter 2. I want to note, note four pillars in church life. But it begins in our personal life. And if you and I recognize and build our relationship with Jesus personally and with each other on these four structural pillars, they will hold us firm in Christ. And like Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, and in Luke chapter 6, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, after he was done with all of those teachings, he said, there are two kinds of people. There will be two kinds of responses to my teaching. Only two. Not three. Only two. The two responses, one is foolish, one is wise. The wise man who hears my teaching and does them, his life will be a house built on a rock. And the storms will come. And the floods will beat on that house but it will stand. The foolish man is one who hears my words but does not do them. And his house will be a strong house. It may be built just like the other one on the outside. In fact, it might even be prettier. Might have nicer color paints, nicer color shingles. The architect and the design may be beautiful. But there's something missing, Jesus said. You know what's missing? That person was lazy. He did not, as it says in Luke, ch Luke chapter 6, he did not dig deep and lay a foundation. And so, when the storm will come, does come, the whole house is obliterated, is destroyed. So it is with Jesus' teachings in my life and in your life. And yet we live in a world 
where many spirits, as 1 John 4 says, have already gone out into the world and are deceiving many. Because Satan's one mission, one goal in his short time, Revelation says he knows he has a short time, and so he goes out with a purpose. And that purpose is to rob, to kill, and to destroy people's faith. To rob it, to kill your faith, and then to destroy your life. And this is one of the ways he does it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the beginning of the church. Now when they heard this, Peter's sermon, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone... And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord's been speaking to my life and strengthening these four pillars. And they were continually devoting themselves that's what you call structural. It's not something that just happens when you do it once. Like you come up to the altar and you say a prayer and you give your heart to Jesus. And now you're as strong as you need to be. You can walk out these doors and fight with the devil. You'll lose. You'll lose. Unless you do this. You walk out these doors and you continually devote yourself to the Lord's word beginning there notice the first thing they devoted themselves to and this word devotion is a very interesting word it's interesting that in common Christianity at least in, in the churches I grew up in as a boy they called them when they had quiet time or alone time with God we called it having our devotions have you heard that that term it seems a common term in Christianity, having your devotions with God. And 
for many years, I didn't understand that word or what it looked like in my life, except for this is something I need to regularly do. But that's the wrong focus. When you're devoted to someone, it is the act of marriage. It's that kind of thing. It, devotion has a focus. It has a purpose, and the purpose is love. That's the purpose. And so devotion is something that takes your heart and it devotes it. It sets it upon. Or when it takes your eyes, it focuses your eyes. Or when it takes your mind, it sets your mind on something. You're devoted to that. And when you do that continually, it becomes a habit. A good habit. It's amazing to me how Christians think habits are almost like wrong in their life. Like we shouldn't have habits because it might just kill the spirit, you know. It won't be life-giving anymore. Boy, how the devil has fooled us. A habit is an attachment to a de continually devoting something. I was sharing this with the ministry team uh, maybe a couple months ago now. I told them, one of the habits I formed the day I got married is kissing my wife. And our kisses today are as sweet and as continual as a day when we got married. With all purity. It's the way it's to be. God made it so. Then you know that God says, husband, kiss your wife. Wives, kiss your husbands. You didn't know that. Someone tell me in the scriptures? Mm, I'm not going to give you the answer. But it's an act of love, is it? It is when you set your heart upon someone and you connect with that devotion. It becomes an act, an expression of your love. Just because I've kissed her regularly for over 28 years every day, we kiss each other in the morning when we get up. We kiss each other when I go to work. We kiss each other as soon as I see her when I come home. We kiss each other goodnight at least four times a day. I know we do it regularly, but we look for every opportunity to express that love. And guess what it's done in our marriage? Structural. It's a habit. Now, do I always feel like, oh, I just want to kiss her? Well, right now I'm feeling that way because I'm talking about it. But... I don't always have this impulse, passionate kiss. No, it's a touch. But it's a habit we formed on purpose. Because I believe, though the scripture doesn't say so, it's an act of love. So I believe that if I kiss my wife regularly and make it a habit, it will solve a lot of arguments and distance that the devil wants to bring into our life. It's amazing if you as couples are arguing or having a little bit of a fight, you know, I, a disagreement and you sense the wall coming and you stop right there and you just come down and say, just stop the argument. Try it. You try it, John. You'll fight a lot less. I guarantee it. All of a sudden it changes the fight. I thought he was mad at me. And he kissed me. I thought she really felt strongly about this. It's disarming. 
it works. We were told that shortly after we got married, Katie and I had one purpose for our relationship. That was to learn to love one another well. Structurally. Because we live in the world where unbelievers divorce all the time, but we live in a Christian world where Christians are divorcing as much or more as unbelievers. The devil is very effective in doing exactly what God said, I hate divorce, and bringing God's hatred into Christian homes. Wow. What are you going to do about it? I guarantee you this, the devil is walking about your relationship as a roaring lion, seeking if he can devour your relationship every day. What are you doing about it? Are you doing anything on purpose, structurally, making a habit to defeat the devil and to experience God's love faithfully? Boy, that changes the whole picture, doesn't it? That's what devotions is. That's what devotion is. It's a purposeful act continually. I've devoted myself to this thing, this expression of love to my wife, and it works. Here's what it does. When these brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit, came down into their hearts, they devoted themselves to these four things and look at the result and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and if you look at that word awe and the deep meaning of it it has this inclination to it worship worship dear couples do you worship God in your love try kissing yep you think what you're some kind of marriage counselor here? I didn't come for this this morning. It's what the Lord gave you. I didn't plan on sharing that either. But we're devoting ourselves to our love for each other's couples. Now try this with Jesus. Mm. This is structural. And I tell you, my own testimony is, after over 30 years of being a Christian, and there were seasons in my life when I don't have the feeling, I don't have the passion, I don't even have the willpower. All three of hay, wood, and stubble is burned up that morning when I get up and I don't even know how it burned. It's just not there. I don't feel like it. I don't even think that I should really. I'm beginning to think, why wouldn't I? Why should I? I, I can skip this morning. And my willpower is simply not there. I'm totally lazy. I have no willpower. I'm tired. So that's all gone. Are you going to kiss Jesus that morning or not? I'll tell you, if it's a habit, you will. You'll just get up because it's a habit. And when you get up because it's a habit and you do it, it's like a spark ignites. It's, it leads you into a hug. A kiss almost always leads into a hug, even just a peck on the cheek, and it produces words. Worship. This is how I've experienced my relationship with Jesus. 
And I'll tell you, devoting yourself to this kind of a walk with Jesus has made my devotional time with the Lord more precious than anything else in my life. And it's always life-giving, just like the kisses to my wife. I don't plan to quit anytime, anytime. They devoted themselves to teaching. In your Christian life, how well is this structure? How is your devotion to Christ's teaching in your word, in your life, his word in your life? That's the question. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's instruction to Timothy as a worker in the church was this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 10. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of all believers. Prescribe and teach these things. That word prescribe is more than a prescription from the doctor. I don't know why they use that word, but it's actually the Greek word is command it. It's a command. It's the same word that when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not a suggestion. Not a prescription. You can take it if you like. No. Command. And teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture to the exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things and be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. I'll never forget the week the Holy Spirit came into my heart like never before. And even though I may have had some kind of, I have said a prayer before and had some kind of an experience with God, I know He forgave my sins. I personally believe you can have forgiveness of sins without being born again. And the reason I believe that is because in 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He'll do it every time. He is faithful and just. It's His justness. It's right for Him to do it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does it to our children before they're born again. Does he not? He does. When they come and say, I'm so sorry, Dad, I disobeyed you. And you get to pray with them. Let's come to Jesus and ask Jesus for forgiveness. He's the only one that can forgive your sin. I forgive you, but he can clear your conscience. And you come to prayer. That child, through confession of their sin, stands up forgiven every time, every day. He's faithful. But that's not being born again. Being born again is being filled with His Spirit, 
When His Spirit comes into your mortal body, Romans 8, and raises up the dead spirit that was there, dead to God. It was dead to God and to His Word. And the Spirit comes and makes you alive, Ephesians chapter 2. And you, has He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That experience is the new birth, being born of the Spirit, Jesus called it in John chapter 3. When that happened to me, one of the first words that week was this that the Lord gave me. Phil, here's my instruction to you. And I remember sitting through that men's conference. It was an all day long conference and there were many brothers, different brothers getting up and preaching. And the one thing I sat there doing is I read through Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. And I must have read through it, I don't know, many times that week. I just poured myself into it. And this is what the Lord said to me. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in something. When you take a sponge and you put it into a bucket of water, it absorbs the water until it's completely saturated. Right? So that when you get that sponge out, the first thing it does when you get that sponge out, water just oozes out of that sponge. And the tighter you twist that sponge, the more water you get out of it. And you can keep twisting it and twisting it and twisting it until you get more drops out of it. And it's still moist. It's still wet. We're sponges in God's Word. We're sponges to words said. What are you absorbing? Look at what's squeezing out of your life and you know what you're absorbing. That's what comes out. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. The teaching we absorb is very, very important. In James chapter 1, he says this in verse 23. For if anyone... Uh, I'm going to begin in actually verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted. You can hear and not receive anything. You can sit right here, listen to me, and leave these rooms, and it all just left. Jesus talked about those kind of people. And he said, every time the word of God is spoken... There are those four responses. They're the people who hear it, but immediately when they hear it, the devil is standing right over your shoulder. And he's whoosh, deleting it. Whoosh. You have a delete button. Did you know that? You do in your brain. And the devil will push it if you let him. Every time you hear the word of God. And you literally walk out these doors and you don't remember one word you heard does nothing for you. You just wasted an hour of your time. But if you receive in humility the word implanted, to receive God's word, you have to have a certain attitude. And if you don't have this attitude, you might get a little bit of it, but probably by the end of the week, you've lost everything, all the effects of it. And that's humility. Humility. You have to come 
with a heart of saying, Lord, plant your word in my heart. The promise, the new covenant promise in Hebrews chapter 8 and in Jeremiah 31, which he's quoting, is God says, I will not make a covenant with you like I did with Israel. They didn't hear my words. They didn't want to hear my words. They only saw my acts, but they never got to know me. Why? He said, it didn't work. So I'm going to write a new covenant. I'm going to make a new promise with you. I'll write my words on your mind and in your heart. Come to the Lord like a sheet of paper. Take your heart and say, write it on me. Write it with your ink. And when God does that, you might forget the details of the words, but you won't forget the message. It'll change you. Receive with humility the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law. Notice that word intently. It's with intention. The intention is humility to receive it. The intent is God write it on my heart. Try coming to the Lord Jesus that way every time you open the book. Lord, write it on my heart. Just say that prayer. I do it every day. Every time. And if you ask, you'll receive. If you ask, you'll receive it. If you don't come asking for that, you probably won't experience it. It'll just be you reading another book, putting in your time. I don't know what you'll get out of it, but you won't get that from it unless you ask. Intently looks at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, speaking the parable, the story of the word of God being sown. He says the word of God, the kingdom of God is like a sower, a man who went out to sow. And Jesus said this in verse 24. Verse 23, Mark chapter 4, verse 23. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you. And more shall be given you besides. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Have you ever wondered what that means? This is the way it is, Jesus said. You can't change this. This is one of God's mortal laws. What? Doesn't that seem weird? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? This is the way it is in your life. If you have, more will be given you. And whatever you don't have, it'll be taken away from you. Wait, what? Even what he has shall be taken away from me. What is Jesus saying? It's in the context, take heed what you listen to. 
And I found this a personal experience. If I come to the Word of God to listen and to receive with humility, not to argue with God, but to receive His Word and submit to it, more is given to me. Because by the measure that I listen, I get more. But when I don't listen, even what I have goes away from me. I lose more. When I come to God and I don't listen, it becomes an act of disobedience and I lose more than what I had when I first came. That's what Jesus is saying. The Word of God is not neutral, ever. And the exposure, you and I expose ourselves to it, never leaves us in neutrality. It always has an effect on us. You either receive more than what you came or you lose more than what you came. That's just the way it is. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, I'll, I'll begin in verse 2. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Your teaching matters. And so that is a structural part of our Christian life. Is Christ's teaching in my life and my teaching others that word. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the next structural pillar was fellowship. Now this word fellowship is more than just hanging out. It's The Greek word is koinonia. And if you look for the definition of how this fellowship is experienced, you might be surprised. I used to think fellowship is this. Fellowship is you, we invite you over to our house and we have dinner together and we just have an evening of fellowship. That is not this kind of fellowship. This kind of fellowship begins with God. No one else. And outside of God, you don't experience it. You don't have it. That's just hanging out. That's just having common interests. That may just be playing sports together. But this is a God thing. It's a structural strength in our Christian life that without it, our building will collapse under the storms of life. And that's why they seem... It was very important. As soon as the Holy Spirit came, he put those four things into the church, into the believers' lives. And they did it. And they did it continually, devoting themselves to it. Listen to this definition of 1 John, of fellowship. John defines it very clearly for us. Verse John. 1 John chapter 1. I'll begin reading. Um, verse 1 what was from the beginning what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes 
what we have beheld with our hands, handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested or openly displayed. And we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was openly displayed to us, manifested. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Notice the verbs of action. I see it, I heard it, I declare it. We're proclaiming, we're all seeing, we're hearing, we're sharing. That's the ingredients of fellowship. But fellowship has a central point. Let's see what it is. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. We see the effects of fellowship. Your joy is complete. Have you ever had this kind of fellowship with the Father, with Jesus Christ, sharing what you see and hear from Jesus with others without any joy? Left dull and completely bored and unchanged. That ever happened to you? Never to me. Never. I came into meetings, not even wanting to be there sometimes. All my haywood and stubble was burned up. I had no emotion to go. I had lots of reasons not to go. Lots of thoughts about, why should I go? I don't really have time. I'm tired. I had no thoughts, no emotion, and no willpower to go. But I went simply out of obedience. And I experienced fellowship. And I leave full of joy. Being complete. Oh, this has happened to me over and over and over again. Whether it's in a prayer meeting or having a family over for around the dinner table or playing sports with brothers and sisters and we share around Jesus Christ. I tell you, this is true. This result is always true. Our fellowship is structural in our life. And the New Testament church knew it. And they did it because they knew it was true. And they did not let Satan rob them of it. They were like, we're doing this. We're devoting ourselves to this. This is a part of our fellowship with the Father. It's one and the same. Look at what happens through fellowship and how it's experienced. It's not just coming together. It's what happens when we come together. And this is the message, verse 5. We have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is light, we have fellowship. That's how you get it. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, when I walk in His light, I have fellowship one with another. And then something powerful happens, divine. 
And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. How do you get cleansed? Can someone tell me from your sin? What is one of the ways you get cleansed from your sins? How so? How do you experience that? Read it again. Read it again. What am I talking about? No, 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 I'm not there yet. I'm in verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have what with each other? And there is where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. It's in fellowship. I get forgiveness and cleansing. Has that ever happened to you? I tell you, if you're missing this secret, no wonder you don't see the need for fellowship in your life. Not as important as God sees it. You might say, ah, it's something I should do. But unless you do it for this reason and you do it this way, you'll miss the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life and a cleansing that only comes through fellowship. Now, the other is true also. We can do it personal. We need to have that personal relationship. But it's one and the same. And I tell you, this is why the Holy Spirit was so freely moving through the New Testament church. Because they walked in the light and had fellowship together with each other in the light of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ saved souls. I don't know about you, but I want this more than anything else in my life. Church life is this to me. I want it, and I'm passionately pursuing it. And by God's grace, it will be, continue to be a structure in my life. I remember some years ago when Katie and I were going through a really difficult time. And the Lord was leading us out of a church. And it was a very confusing time. For me personally, for us, and for many others around me. And I didn't, I didn't understand what God was all doing in my life. I only knew one thing. That the Lord was leading me out. And it wasn't perfect. I was making mistakes as I was walking out. And I knew that. I didn't even know quite what the right way was. But I knew I had to walk out. And as God made a way for me to walk out, a brother asked me, what are you going to do? Just, what are you going to do? And I said, probably just hang out at home with my family for a while. Really? I don't know what else to do. The Lord didn't give me even one Sunday to do that. That first Sunday was somebody's birthday. And so we were invited to this birthday party. And there were numerous other believers there. And the Lord immediately just took me as a sponge and he immersed me into fellowship that first Sunday. And I went home after that first Sunday saying, Lord, I'm not doing this alone. I'm going to seek fellowship. And I'm going to seek fellowship and walk in the light with nothing to hide. I'm going to walk in the light with my brothers and sisters and seek to do this together. And that started a church in me and with others. That's fellowship. There was no hay, wooden stubble in it. 
No reason. I didn't want to. There was no emotion. I didn't feel like doing it. And there was no resolve of me personally to do it. I had no resolve except to stay at home alone. And God, in the last four years or so, has done all and much more in my own personal journey with Him as I did it with others than what I was hoping to experience alone with the Lord in the closet. What I wanted to do was sit at home and read the Word and just have my own little quiet life for a while. Just take a break. And the Lord said, it's only through fellowship you'll receive this power and the continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. I'm so glad for that. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we may come a liar and His word is not in us. Notice the effects of the wrong kind of fellowship. There is another kind of fellowship and it has an effect on us, but it's quite different. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, but do not let, verse 3, immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting or joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Another translation than the original Greek says, do not have fellowship with them. Same word, koinonia. Do not become a part of it. Joining yourself to it. I wrote down the Greek original meaning. The act of partaking or sharing because of a common interest. For you were formerly darkness, verse 8, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice fellowship is with God and His Son and it's connected with light. It's where God shines His light on our conscience and on my heart. And as I walk in that light, we have fellowship one with another. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not have fellowship. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. But instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and rise from the dead. And Christ will shine upon you. That's in this context of fellowship. Christ shines upon us. 
Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or a waste of your time. But be filled with the Spirit. And notice what happens. Fellowship. Speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Fellowship. See how the Word of God defines it for us? Is it deeper and more powerful than you thought it was? It is for me. And there's a clear way in which to enter it. Walk in the light. If I try to do it walking in darkness, I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. But if I seek to do it in the light, put this same word in your marriage, couples, and you'll have a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. Your light will shine before men. Over your children's hearts, Christ will shine upon you. No wonder they were so devoted to it, right? The teaching and the fellowship. And I'm going to stop there. I'll cover the next two next Sunday. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come and you would do this work of grace. Your heavenly influence on my life, in my home, and in our fellowship. I come to you, Lord, to experience this with you and with your children. And I pray for every soul here today that you would draw us into this, invite us into it again today. Don't let fear hold us back. Don't let unbelief hold us back. Thank you. You do invite us to walk into the light as you are in the light. Come walk as children of light. In your word, in your teaching, and in fellowship with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word with us. And I pray it was a, an encouragement to each of you that each one of us can continue to pursue that true fellowship. Let's have that be our goal for the week and beyond. Brings us to the conclusion of the service here, and I think a uh, lunch is ready or nearly ready, so we'll dismiss and have a closing prayer. Um, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll have a prayer and a blessing on the noon meal, and uh,
since I didn't get Zeb to say anything yet, I'm going to ask him to have a closing prayer for us and ask a blessing on the new year, please. Why not? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you've blessed us with. Just thank you for this fellowship that we'll be able to we'll partake in here as we continue on through the day. We just thank you for your word that you've given us. And just all your many, many blessings. Thank you for the food. It's in your precious son's name that we pray and ask all things. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.